You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Now, you've got your Bible open to Galatians chapter 2. Let's stand together. I want to read the last verse of chapter 2. The text for this message I read last Sunday morning and Sunday evening begins with verse 17, and we're thinking about the law of God and the grace of God, the law of God and the grace of God. But now look at verse 21, which is the last verse, and this is the last point tonight of this five-point message. I do not nullify, or he says, I do not make void or empty the grace of God. Now, you may have there uh, in your Bible, I do not frustrate the grace of God. But the literal rendering is, I do not make empty or of no meaning or purpose the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the works of the law, then Christ died in vain. Or you might put, Christ died without any meaning. There is no purpose to his, his death. If righteousness comes by the works of the law or by law. All right? Now let's think together tonight about the fact that the Lord must be exalted in this plan of salvation. That's the final thing that I want to say this evening, and that is any plan that God has for us means that He is going to end up getting the glory. And so the last point of the message, the Lord must be exalted. And we've got a lot to praise Him for tonight anyway, so let's pray together. Father, we do rejoice because You're such a wonderful and loving God. There is no question but that You have proven Yourself faithful to us. Lord, we look at all these debts, the 1.23 million and the 1.7 million and the one and a quarter million, uh, and we see that uh, all but just a couple of hundred thousand dollars of that is gone. Then we look at our bond debt and we realize that uh, much, uh, we, we have made some strides in that and that you have now given us a way to retire the rest of it in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you that it's, uh, it's not something we're talking about or going to try or take a stab at. It's something that you have uh, put into our hearts and it has been judged correct and uh, authoritative and operable. And Lord, I thank you for that. Now, Lord, um, as we turn to your word this evening, I realize that uh, in these next few moments you will be drawing our focus to the fact that uh, by the works of the law is no man justified, that we are made right with you because of your grace, your mercy, your love for us. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, uh, bring into your kingdom tonight any person here tonight who is still trying to work their way to heaven, and help them to see that Jesus Christ is the way and that uh, uh, the only way to find forgiveness and cleansing of sin and to even have the right kind of life is to receive Christ by faith. And I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, my Lord, my Master. Amen. All right, thank you. Be seated, please. Now, uh, if you will get a firm grasp on these verses... 17 through 21, which, uh, and I read just the last one a few moments ago, you will know more about salvation than about 95% of the people, now listen to this, who have experienced salvation. You see, it is possible to become a Christian, that is to be saved, without having a full-blown theology of what it means 
to be saved. Now, every once in a while, I think there are people who believe that the only way to become a Christian is to be educated into being saved. But let me just tell you that when God's Holy Spirit convicts a man that he is a lost sinner and that Jesus is the only way, what he needs to do is just turn his heart to Jesus. He may not know anything more than that, but when he trusts Jesus and by faith receives him and him alone as his Savior, he receives cleansing and forgiveness of sin, although he may not know all the theological terms and, and uh, all the things that later on as he reads the Scripture and God begins to enlighten him, that he will discover and I think that is very important for us to understand because sometimes we measure whether a person is a Christian not by whether they have come to Christ by faith but by whether they understand all of our jargon, all of our terms that we have, have come to understand maybe years later. Uh, being saved is something that if you know tonight you need Christ, you can experience the wonderful grace of God tonight by receiving Him by faith as your Savior, repenting of your sins, turning from your sins. But what we want to do is we want to go on to maturity. One of these days, for instance, as pastor of this church, I'm going to have to give an account. God's going to say, Preacher or Tom, uh, you were at First Southern Baptist Church. Here were the years you were there as their pastor. And you're going to have to give an account. The Bible says I'm going to have to give an account for your souls. The Bible says I'm going to have to give an account for the stewardship of my preaching ministry. Uh, the Bible says I'm going to have to give an account for whether I was a man of integrity while I was pastor here. And the last thing I would want to do would be to pastor um, a church in which the only thing we wanted when we gathered together service after service was just an experience that excited our emotions. I think we need to go into the deeper things of God. And, and we can have the experiences as well. Amen? And so what I want to do in these next few moments is to show you an understanding of this passage of Scripture so that you will understand something about law and something about grace, and that's what the book of Galatians is about anyway. And so you have your Bible open. Let me just quickly walk with you through these verses once again. I'm not going to preach the two messages I've already preached, but I want to remind you that in verse 7, we said that there is a lie which must be exposed. And what is the lie? The lie is that you can be saved, that the law will produce good works or a righteous life, right standing with God, that you can be saved by keeping the law. That's a lie. The law does not produce good works, he says in verse 17. The law is just a picture of the heart of God. He says, if while seeking to be justified with Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, did Christ cause us to do that by telling us that we were to be saved by faith? He says, may it never be, or God forbid. May it not be so, all right? In verse 18, we said that there is a loyalty which must be examined. What is that loyalty? It's our desire after we become a Christian to go back to the law. I know this is what we might call legalism. The best term, I think, is Galatianism because that was the, that was the problem with the churches in Galatia. They were saved, they'd received Christ, but now they were seeking to go back and take the law and impose it upon people. The law which couldn't save them, they wanted to impose on other people as a test of whether they were saved, all right? And so he said, by the way, if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I just prove that I am a transgressor. So we examined this loyalty last Sunday morning in our heart to the law. Why is it there? 
Number three, we said, as we looked at verse 19, that the law must be explained. He says, through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. And we said that the law has a threefold purpose. First of all, it is a mirror of the perfect heart of God. Secondly, it is a measure of our imperfection. It shows us that we've sinned. And thirdly, then it becomes the means of turning us to God. The law, in other words, is God's standard showing us our sin, showing us our desperate wickedness so that we finally give up. We say, I'm just dead to the law. The law, the law doesn't produce life with me. And I then turn to God. And so that's what he's speaking about there in verse 19. Through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. So he said a lie must be exposed, a loyalty must be examined, the law must be explained, and then I said Sunday night that a life must be exchanged. There are probably fewer verses in the Scripture that are more thrilling, that are more significant to us than the 20th verse here. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We said there are three doctrines there. First of all, the doctrine of representation. I am crucified with Christ. Just as the Bible says, in Adam, when Adam sinned, all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so we talk about Jesus as being the federal head of the church, just like Adam is the federal head of the race, Jesus the federal head of the church. So there is the doctrine of representation. And then we said there is the doctrine of redemption. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I've been redeemed. I have been bought off. Remember that picture that I painted Sunday night of the slave block and the chains and the manacles, the, slave, the horrible auction block, and Christ redeemed us. From death we pass to life. And so there was the doctrine of redemption. And so we must exchange, first of all, we said we must exchange our failure for what Christ did on the cross. Then we must exchange our ruin for Christ's redemption. And then finally he said, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we talked about the fact that we, it, there's this wonderful exchange that takes place. We exchange our reckoning, the fact that we're going to die on the cross. We exchange that for the wonderful resurrected life of Jesus within us. And so there is this exchange which takes place when we are born again, when we become a Christian. And if you weren't here Sunday night, well, you need to go back and get that tape and listen to those, uh, uh, that treatment of those three important doctrines. And then finally we said to understand law and grace... We need to understand that in everything that God does, he will be exalted. And so we said that while there is a lie that must be exposed, a loyalty to be examined, the law to be explained, the life to be uh, exchanged, we said then there is a Lord who is to be exalted. There is a Lord which must be exalted. And so look with me at verse 21, and I want to say a few things just briefly about this verse this evening, and then we'll come to invitation time. And it could be that tonight is the night that God wants you to cross over. This could be the banner night for you in all of your eternity when you say, I'm tired of trying to get to heaven by the good things that I do, and I want to get to heaven by the good thing God did when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. I want to receive Christ by faith as my Savior. Now, let's look at this verse. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Or that means to nullify or to make empty this whole doctrine of the grace of God. 
For if righteousness comes through the law or through the works of the law or keeping the law, then Christ died in vain or he died needlessly, futilely. It was an empty expression on his part. Now, I want to make three statements, and I would encourage you to write these down someplace there in your notebook or in the margin of your Bible. Here's the first, and all of these are drawn out of this one verse, all right? Number one, salvation by works makes void the grace of God. Now, that's an obvious statement from this verse. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by keeping of the law, I literally make empty the death of Christ. So he says, says here, if I say you can be saved by doing good works, I have made void the grace of God. Now, let me explain to you the grace of God. I, I can't explain it all, but let me explain to you a little bit about the grace of God. Sometimes people use the little acronym, G-R-A-C-E, to, to uh, help them understand grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Sometimes when you ask an individual, what, what is the definition of grace? They will say, grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving something you do not deserve. Well, both those are right. But they're only a little, um, a little bit of the whole doctrine of grace. And I can't treat the whole doctrine this evening but let me remind you that grace, the Bible tells us grace in its fullest sense, is something worked down from the heart of God. It's not anything that we work up to God. It is something God brings down to us. And grace, and this is so very important for us to understand, grace is a sovereign act of God. It's not something God is moved to do because of our plight. It is, now, this is very important. It is something God does because of His nature. Now, do you understand the difference between that? Uh, let, me, let me give you an illustration. If you will turn your television, especially late at night, there are always these programs uh, making appeals for money, and, and I'm not necessarily against these, but, but the, the way that people are moved to give is by, by revealing the plight of helpless people in this country or in some other country. I'm, and I'm not, as I said, I'm not speaking against that, but I'm just saying that our hearts are moved because of the plight of those people. All right? Now, what I want you to see about God's grace is that it is not... God being touched by predicament that we have been found in. You say, well, why isn't it? Because God was a God of grace before any human being was ever created. Before the predicament ever existed, God was a God of grace. He was already a God of grace. He created you knowing you were going to, ahead of the, knowing ahead of time you were going to get in the predicament. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me ask you a question. Which came first, air or lungs? Well, air was there for lungs to breathe. Lungs didn't come first. Air was there first, all right? Now, by the same token, which was there? Sinners are a Savior. Which came first? Well, the Savior was there before there were sinners. So God didn't, didn't, didn't look down one day and see on the TV screen of history poor, lost humanity, 
little tear comes to God's eye and he says, bless their heart. I'm so stirred up because of their plight, I'm going to do something about it. Okay? Grace was in the heart of God before you had your problem. And I want you to see that, that God is a God of grace. It is not God having sympathy for your sin and, and trying to help you out of it. Grace is a revelation of God's character. It was in his heart ahead of time. Now, what you need to see is grace as a sovereign act of God is God moving in your life, now listen to this, to give you, first of all, the desire and secondly, the capacity to do his will. That's grace. You say, explain that. All right, here's God here. He's living in sin. He doesn't care about being saved. He is on his way right straight to hell. He's just going to hell. All of a sudden, he starts getting convicted that he's a sinner, that he's going to die and go to hell, that something needs to change in his life. Where did that come from? Did it come from that man's heart? Not on your life. God, by an act of his grace and the moving of his Holy Spirit, put it in that man, that desire to do right. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world of sin and righteousness, and judgment to come, the Bible says, Jesus said. All right? And so God puts it in his heart that he's lost, and on his way to hell, something's going to happen. You say, <clears throat> you know, why does it happen to this man, and why doesn't it happen to another man? Well, of course, you're, you're not with that other man all the time. You happen to be here when this guy receives Christ as Savior, gets convicted. Here's another guy. You don't know what he's walked through. But what I want to tell you is this. You, listen to this, you would not even know there was such a thing as God if God, by an act of his grace, didn't show it to you. You're not smart enough to know there's a God. It is not in you to know there's a God. He's saying, Brother Tom, I think I could figure out that there was a God. Not if God didn't show you, you couldn't. Not if he didn't show you. If you don't believe that, you look at all these religions where God's just an exaggerated character of man, just a, a man on bigger proportions, a giant man that can carry the world or whatever, just that's a... Just an exaggeration of man, because man can't. A man without God can't conceive of what God is. So he makes his, up a God, and you read about that in Romans chapter one. So you, you're not even clever enough to know there is such a being as God if God, by His grace, didn't show you. So first of all, He gives you the desire, and secondly, then He gives you the capacity to get saved and to do His will. You say, well, what capacity do I need to have to be saved? You need faith. You say, oh, I, I, if I ever saw God, I'd believe in him. Not on your life. Most people who know there's God don't believe in him. You say, wait a minute, how can you know something <laughs> not believing? A lot of people out in this world who tell you they don't believe in God, they know there's a God. They'll say, I don't believe in God, thank God. You know? Where does faith come from? It is a gift from God. You say, faith is me knowing there's a God, and then I sort of, hmm, I believe in God like that. Faith is, is believing hard. Faith is believing hard for a long time. 
Faith is believing hard and squinting. I believe in God. No, where does faith come? Faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not salvation. That word it is a modifier of faith. Faith is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Boy, God's grace is something a lot bigger than we thought it was, isn't it? It is... It is an expression, first of all, not of God's sympathy, but in His nature before there was ever a sin. And it is God sovereignly working in your heart to give you the desire and the capacity to do the, His will. All right? Now, if you say you can be saved by your works, what does the Bible say? You have made empty the whole idea of the grace of God. Let, let me let you read a verse of Scripture, and then we're going to move through this very quick. Acts, uh, Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to sort of freewheel through this verse, all right? Because of time. Verse 1, chapter 4 of Romans. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, according to the flesh, is found? I'm just reading this generously here, all right? For... Here he says, if Abraham was justified by what he did, by his works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. You see, works gives you the capacity to boast about you, but not God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him, or reckoned to him, counted to him as righteousness. Now notice these next two verses are critical. Now to the one who works, his reward, literally the word is his wage, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. That's the way that should read. Now, let me just stop there. Here's what he's saying. If you work for something and you get what you work for, that is not a gift. That's what you were owed. Now, listen. Can you think of how ridiculous it is that you could ever put a holy God in the position of owing you anything. Do you think God is going to get in debt to you? Are you kidding? The creator of the universe, the sustainer of all? Well, I, I tell you what, I'm not free. I'm not, I'm not free. I'm not financially free. I just... Oh, Tom Ellis, oh, man, I tell you, I'm in debt. Is God going to say that? Absolutely not. But if you say you can work and earn your salvation, you go ahead and brag about how good you are, and you are making God a debtor to you. And here's what he, Paul is saying in this verse. He says, God's not going to be a debtor to any man. He is not going to be in debt to you. So my first statement was this, salvation by works makes void the grace of God. If you believe you can do anything to get saved then you have just nullified the idea that you're saved by the grace of God. All right, here's my second statement. I'll just make it quickly. Salvation by grace, uh, grace through faith, however, magnifies the Lord. Instead of frustrating the grace of God and nullifying the crucifixion, it fulfills the grace of God and magnifies the crucifixion. So while salvation by works makes void the grace of God, Salvation by grace through faith magnifies the Lord. Now, let me, let me explain this. 
The word salvation indicates, now listen, that you are in a predicament that you can't solve. You see, if I can swim, I don't need you to come get me and rescue me if I can swim. I need you to rescue me when I can't rescue myself. Salvation means there is a Savior. There is someone doing something for you you cannot do for yourself. And so what Paul is saying here to the Christians in Galatia, he says, you, you go back to the law and you start telling people they're saved by the law, then what you are doing, you are taking glory that belongs to a holy God and His Son, the Lord Jesus. You are taking that unto yourself because you are making you the Savior of yourself. You are frustrating the grace of God. You are making void the crucifixion of Jesus. You know what that would be like? That would be like a man saying to his son, Son, I have an important job for you to do over here in a part of my kingdom. Let's say he's a king. I have an important job for you to do over there in a part of it, my kingdom. I want you to go over there. I want you to bring the news to the people that there's a dam about to break over there. They need to move. If they don't move, they're going to lose their lives. And that, that young man goes out there, and as he walks out the door, the king turns to somebody in his courtroom and says, you know what, this is just a trick. I just want to get him out there. I know there's going to be a rainstorm. I know there's going to be a flood. He may even lose his life, but it's just a trick. I want to see if my boy would do it. And, and those people, they're going to be all right. I've got some other plans. I just want to see if they get scared enough to get out of there. You say, that would be the, and, and the rain's come and the dam breaks and the guy loses life and the people are rescued and the guy loses life for nothing. You say, man, that, that would be a foolish, that'd be a wicked thing for that man to do. Hey, it, no more wicked than it would be wicked of God to send his son to the earth to die on the cross if he didn't have to die on the cross, if he's just playing games with us. You follow what I'm saying? Follow what Paul is saying in the Scripture. And so when salvation by grace magnifies God, Salvation by works magnifies you. Now, one final statement. Since law focuses on man's responsibility and proves the sin of man, while grace focuses on God's ability and proves the love of God, salvation by grace is the only way of coming to God that gives Him all the glory. It's the only way it can happen. This is the only way He could be exalted. And so the, the law versus grace, they work hand in hand. The law to bring you to the end of yourself, God's grace to take you beyond to repentance and faith and forgiveness and cleansing. And the result is that the Lord gets the glory. He is the Savior, all right? In a few moments, we're going to stand together. Our counselors are going to be down here at the front. We're going to pray. Uh, I'm going to ask our praise singers to come. And I'd like for us just to sing that hymn that we know, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And here's what I'd like to do. Now look this way just for a moment. If you've never experienced the amazing grace of God, when we stand and begin singing, I want to encourage you to come tonight. Tell one of these counselors, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus. Or I want to experience God's grace. Tell them that. I'd just like to experience the grace of God. If you've never done that, I would urge you to make that decision this evening. If God has spoken to your heart about becoming a part of this church family, now you may be a single person, you may be a college student just here for a few months, you may have moved to this community. This, I realize this is Wednesday night. 
But God spoke into your heart and said, you need to join the church, then I want to encourage you to come tonight and become a part of the First Southern family. Would you do that? And others of you may want to come and just simply kneel at this altar and say, dear Lord, I had forgotten what a wonderful thing it is to be saved by grace. And I want to, on my knees, I want to exalt you and praise you and thank you for moving in my life like that. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will stir up our hearts in these next few moments, bring people to this altar to say yes to Jesus. And I pray it in Jesus' name.